And now, please help me welcome our main speaker for this morning, Bob D. from Las Vegas, Nevada, on the topic of ending loneliness using the 12 traditions. Such a dumb topic, I'll tell you. Blaine Kent. Uh, I'm Bob Darrell and I am alcoholic. And I'm a member of the Connect the Dots group in Las Vegas. And if you would ever go to that group, the other people there know that that's my home group by my actions. And that's very important. If you, have a, if you tell people you have a home group and the people there don't know it's your home group, it's not. I have a sponsor and he knows he's my sponsor by my actions. And if you have a sponsor that doesn't, it's not sure if they're your sponsor, they're not. Um, and I have a sobriety date, which is October 31st, 1978, a, a day in my life that felt like the worst day of my life. And if you would have told me on that day that I would spend the next 38 years celebrating that day every year, I would have thought you were crazy. And it is exemplary of this thing that I don't know. And in 1978, when I got sober, I, I finally was, as the book said says, we're beaten into a state of reasonableness. And I, I was always the I know guy. I'd worked in therapy. I'd, 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 I, was a, I read a lot. I was a smart guy. I, I was the I know guy. And in 1978, I only knew one thing for sure. I don't know. And that saved my life. It brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous where I could hear you. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I have a, my ego, even though I don't most of the time even recognize that it's there, it's so strong within me that it creates a resistance to anything that threatens its control, right? And it's an unconscious resistance. And, and I experienced that with AA. I, 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 sitting as a, as a guy that was a perpetual newcomer for several years, in and out, my, I would sit there as my head would pick you apart. It, because there's something in me that doesn't want, that resists what you have, right? It doesn't want to get better. It doesn't want to lose its control. And then even after failing uh, just horrible, horrible uh, relapses, uh, I was step resistant. I, uh, and I'm not, I'm not alone in this. Do you ever notice how you'll go to what the great lengths you'll go to rather than write your fourth step? Right? I'll wash my car. I can tell my, my sponsor, you write anything? I've been doubling up on my meetings, you know, I mean, that because that's good. I want to throw something that looks good at the at the vacancy, right? And so, like, maybe I'll get credit for that. That's like. It's like going to the gym, killing yourself for two hours, and then coming, leaving, and eating a whole cheesecake. I mean, it's you know, it's you don't one good action doesn't negate another. You know, it's it doesn't work that way. Um, so I was very step resistant, and and the, the pain of untreated alcoholism in a, a, a per, prolonged period of abstinence drove me to my knees. 
in Alcoholics Anonymous and where all of a sudden I, I got to this place where I'm going to have to do this. I know I've done two BS inventories, but I'm going to have to do what it says in the book because I got to do something here because I ain't right. And I don't know how long I can weather my not rightness in abstinence before picking up a drink will start seeming like a good idea. So my, I was driven by my alcoholism. But well, well into sobriety, a long time into sobriety, decades, I was personally tradition resistant. Now in the beginning, it was, it was very adamant. In the beginning, it was just like, I was the guy, if, if I went to a 12 by 12, uh, 12 and 12 study group and they were on a tradition, I would all of a sudden realize I was needed at a different meeting across town, you know, because I don't want it's, it, it just, they were squirmy to me. I don't even like, eh, I, don't, I don't want to hear that. That's just boring, boring. And then, you know, I got, my first sponsor was a, a past delegate. He was a, he was a, he was a doer. Man, he was a doer. I met him because he brought meetings into the detox I was in twice a week. Sponsored a lot of guys, very service oriented. He didn't come from a big book consciousness. In the 70s and even up into the early 80s, the, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous was big book conscious barren. Uh, I, I, my, I was a member of a home group that was, was a big book group. We'd read the big book and then people would tell their story. They'd read the big book, talk about their day. But nobody really had that laser-like focus that developed after Joe and Charlie uh, on the big book that we, we developed. And uh, so I didn't come from an era of big book consciousness. I came from an era where the people, the, the real solid members of AA, they were really big into amends. And they meant pay everybody back. I mean, I had... I, I remember having a conversation with my sponsor about a drug dealer I owed money to. And he, I said, you know, I don't have to pay him. He's a drug dealer. He said, you owe me money? Yeah, we have to pay him. <laughs> I mean, there was no compromise. And, and he was, there was no compromise on service, right? There was, they, they would not stand up against my justifications and rationalizations. They were very principled people. And they wanted me to do service and 12-step work and... And it saved my life. And I got, I ended up a GSR by default at about a year sober. Uh, I was a co-GSR and the GSR got drunk. And I ended up a, a year sober as a GSR and I went to my first assembly and something, it got something inside me going. And uh, when I was a couple years sober, I got tasked by the, my service sponsor who was a at that time was a delegate and later one of the legendary trustee, Ruth. And Ruth tasked me with uh, doing a two hours every Sunday afternoon, a 12 concepts and service manual study group, which is a crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I just, I'd go in there to be a couple brow-beaten newcomers in there, you know, new GSRs, and two or three of them I'd sponsor, and the other two, they don't know why they're there, you know, and, right? <laughs> but I did that for two years, 
And it's funny how see, stuff percolates into your unconscious, your subconscious, like, and then all of a sudden, 20 years later, it comes back because that's when you need it. I think God works like that, doesn't he? It's, it's a funny thing. There, I, I've had things out of, for years ago, I've never thought about. Then all of a sudden, I'm in a situation in my life and this great reality deep down within me sort of percolates something out. And all of a sudden, like, it becomes you. The things that I just, I did it, but I didn't really think it was useful become useful. Uh, a lot of things have been that way in my life. And... Uh, you know, I, I started to honor the 12 traditions. Uh, when I was in general service, I went to a lot of t tradition workshops, uh, area, district, a lot of stuff like that. I started, but I gotta tell you, I, if you're an egomaniac with an inferiority complex like mine, it, it's like I don't initially gravitate to this stuff because I'm a good soul. I gravitate it because it, it, I see opportunity in learning about the traditions to go to meetings and lord it over the deficient ones, right? I, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I, there was a period of time when I was armed with knowledge of the traditions and the service manual, I would go to meetings hopefully looking for tradition breaks <laughs> right so i could rise to the occasion and uh, and feel that smug superiority <clears throat> and isn't it is it, i think it's bizarre that the that my alcoholic ego would take principles that are designed to connect me to life and god's kids and use them to separate me from life and God's kids. It's, it's an ironic, there's no, there's no end to my ego's deviousness. And it's, and it's, it's continual squirming for spotlight, prestige, all, for, all that, all of it. And so I, and I don't, I'm not aware of it, but it's happening. It's funny, I get, in hindsight, I get a better view of me in hindsight than I ever had in the moment. I think maybe maybe that's a blessing from God. Maybe there were times when I was so selfish and self-centered. If I'd have seen it in the moment, I'd have killed myself. I don't know. I, I you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a blessing. Who knows? And, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I was uh, I was sober a long time, and and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I do a lot of step work. Taking a lot of guys through steps, hearing a lot of inventories, and I, I've always, since day one, had service commitments here. I still have several a week. But uh, AA, do you know your name is on this clock? <laughs> but AA started to pale. It, it started. No, it is. Right? It started to pale. It, there's a, several of us up here. It started to pale, and. Uh, I started, you know those subtle, those subtle little feelings like where you're, you're now you're, all the things that you one time lit you up that you're doing in and now you're making yourself do them, right? Uh, having feelings in meetings like I don't fit, but I don't recognize it as that because internally for me, it doesn't look like I don't fit. It looks like I've outgrown all of you and you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? It, it, no, do you know what I'm saying? Right, it doesn't look, see it doesn't, I don't, I, I can't even admit to myself that I have those squirmy little pathetic feelings. You know, I go to my spouse, I just feel lonely. You know, I, I don't say that, right? I, say, I just, I'm lonely because you're stupid and I'm the only one here that gets this, you know? I'm, right, that kind of thing. And I found myself, uh, and this has happened to me a couple times in my sobriety, uh, literally, I, I never left AA, and I never left my, stopped doing service, I never have done it, and that's probably saved my life, because it's kept me tethered here long enough and solid enough for God to do his magic here through the group conscience, and, and but but I would, I was, I'd get toward, emotionally and experientially, I'd get to the edge of AA, looking in, never left, but I, and I did that, I'm moving towards the edge one judgment at a time, right? And I've, I've uh, I, I guess, uh, I guess God has restored me to some small level of sanity because there's something that's occurred in my sobriety that was never true for me before. Not only have I been able to learn occasionally from my own painful experience, I've watched you and learned from yours. And I've watched people leave AA and they leave it one judgment at a time. One compromised action at a time and they don't know they're leaving, right? That's the deviousness of this alcoholic ego that I have. It's out to kill me. But it, it doesn't manifest that way inside me. And I, <clears throat> there's a, a paragraph from step four in the 12 steps and 12 traditions that I, I, I just stumbled across it and it was just me. And this is me with a lot of years of sobriety. And it says, it is from our twisted relations with family, friends, and society at large that many of us have suffered the most. We have been especially stupid and stubborn about them. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. Our ego mania digs two disastrous pitfalls. Either I insist upon dominating the people I know, and it's for their best interest, <laughs> or I depend upon them far too much. If I lean too heavily on people, they will sooner or later fail me and disappoint me. It's like everybody's just, you know what, the human race is a funny place. I have high hopes for all of you individually and you always let me down, right? <laughs> they will, uh, if we lean too heavily on people, they will sooner or later fail us for they are human too and cannot possibly meet our incessant demands. In this way, our insecurity grows and festers. When we habitually try to manipulate others to our own willful desires, they revolt and resist us heavily then we develop hurt feelings, a sense of persecution. You know that feeling that they're just out to get me because I know the truth, right? That <laughs> sense of persecution and a desire to retaliate as we redouble our efforts at control and continue to fail, our suffering becomes acute and constant. We have not once not once 
sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful member of society. Always I've tried to struggle to the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. This self-centered behavior blocked a partnership relation with any of those about us. Of true brotherhood, I had small comprehension. I remember reading that and almost being sick to my stomach because it was true, because it was true. And this is, and this is not because I'm a newcomer. This is how deviously and unconsciously my ego squirmed back into position again. And at one time, I think I, I really was surrendered in, for a short period of time. And then the, as, as Harry Tebow talks about this amazing recuperative powers of the alcoholic ego. And um, there came a point, I, I was trying to travel with Joe and Charlie for a number of years and did the traditions with them, did the big book, did a bunch of stuff. And somewhere in there, I think it was when I started to wake up to the 12 traditions and what they would mean to, for personal application. As if, what if we didn't have the steps? And the only thing I had to, to change and save my life was the spiritual principles of the 12 traditions. What would that look like? What would it look like if, if truly the common welfare, you, how you're doing and what you, if, if everybody else came first and I was last, if I really position myself through my actions and my approach to life, that thing they talk about in the prayer of St. Francis, that self-forgetting, what would that look like? Wouldn't look like Bob. <laughs> what would that look like? This, this idea that my personal recovery, and that's the hook, because Bill's brilliant. He's got to give you, a, he's, he knows how self-centered we are. So he's got to give you a little self-interest to get you to, to do things that are, you're resistant to. So my personal recovery depends upon AA unity. In other words, I have to be one with you and one with here in order to survive Bob. And, and unity is, is, a, is always unconsciously been a big piece of business with me. And I didn't know it. I drank alcohol for unity. I drank alcohol because I'm the lonely guy that can't talk to people. I can't fit. I can't talk to girls. I can't make good friendships. I don't know how to fit. And I could go into a bar and I gotta just be so lonely as because I go in there sober and four drinks in. Oh, these are my best lifelong friends. I mean, you know, eight drinks in, I'm saying things like, I love you, bro. You know, I mean, just feel that connectedness. And, and, and when you when you have suffered the, the, the pangs of anxious apartness that Wilson talks about, when you suffered the loneliness of alcoholism and you're, you're unco unconscious of it, yet you suffer from it, my abstinence would always be, I love the feeling of connection that I got when I drank. And, and uh, not to sit this... this not an AA sediment necessarily, but I'll tell you the truth. If, if alcohol would have continued to do that for me, I would have never got sober. I'd have been willing to pay the price. I'd be willing to go, I'd, I'd be willing to spend six months out of every year in jail if I could get high like I got high when I was 18. 
right? Because I didn't think that AA could do that for me. I thought AA was just gonna get me to quit drinking. Wow, whoopee. And so I didn't understand how, how important unity is here. There's, there's, there comes a time, I think, in some of us where we realize that the most important thing we have in our life, it's more important than your, than your husband or wife. It's more important than your kids. It's more important than your house, your job. It's your seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. That your chair here is the most important thing you have. Because without that, you're gonna lose everything else anyway, right? Now, if you're a problem drinker, that may not be true. If you're a hard problem drinker, like the person who drinks horrifically and, and dangerously and destroys their life, but when they get sober, they're good. Then that might not apply. But I, I am the chronic alcoholic. I, I don't just have an abnormal reaction to alcohol. I have an abnormal reaction to abstinence. And, and, and it's your fault somehow. And I, haven't, I can't always figure that out, but it always seems to be your fault. You know, our common welfare should come first. My personal recovery, I have to be connected here. And I have to do, that means, that, you know what that means sometimes? That means sometimes I'll have to make amends to people when, when I, I, didn't even, I didn't even do anything. But they think I did. And Sandy used to say the person with the most tools gets to do the work. Right? So I've, I've had many, many conversations with people in AA where I watch them and they act like I've hurt them. They act, now I don't know what I did. But I also understand that I am very capable of stepping on people's toes and not realizing it. Because I just got me right here and I don't even know I'm stepping on your toes. I'm just trying to get to the next thing that's important to Bob. And I don't even know it. So I've gone up to people and I say, listen, I, I want you to know something. I, I've always liked you, I love you. But I have a feeling like I did something. Maybe I don't unconsciously that stepped on your toes. And, and if that's the case, please tell me what it is, man. I, I don't want to be like this with you. Tell me what it is. I'd like to make it right. And because um, nothing's more important than being one with you. Because if you left unchecked, what happens is I don't know. I'm going to be around him. I'm going to be around him. He's an idiot too. And I can be around him. And, and I resent by, if I just think you don't like me, I'm going to not like you first. And not only am I going to resent you, I will resent by default everyone who you know and likes you. Which I'm telling you something, alcoholics and I can become a lonely business like that. So nothing's more important than, than my, my chair here. You know, uh, and that's not, that's not just true, that's true in, in uh, everything, in every area of my life. It's true in my, all my friendships, interactions with people. It's true, it's true in my business. I, I ran my company for uh, a lot of years on the 12 traditions. I, they didn't, the, the non-alcoholic people who worked for me didn't know they were the 12 traditions. They just, but they, it's funny, we resist these principles. Normal people go, oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> No, really, they do. I mean, it's like, I had, to, I had to bludgeon my sponsees with a big book for weeks to get them to go to, just even, 
No, they just, oh, unity, yes, that's good. Group conscience, group, con oh, nice, that's great. That's very nice of you to think of that. Huh? Well, I'm telling you. You know, not only for my group con purpose, but for my personal purpose, there is an ultimate authority here. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the turning point, it's the crux of AA, it's, it's where we begin to live our life on a different basis. It's a third step prayer. It's the intention of surrender, even though we may not, that just saying the prayer doesn't surrender you, it's the intention of surrender. I'm on a different basis now. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. And there is this, ulti this ultimate authority, the, book, the tradition says, expresses himself in our group conscience. I think there's a covenant in Alcoholics Anonymous that when two or more of us come together for the purpose of recovery, God's in the midst. And I think that's true on a one-on-one -on -one individual, one alcoholic talking to another. I think it's true with my sponsor. I, it's been true with the people I sponsor. I, I mean, if you, how many people in here sponsor people? All right, I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, you guys know this. If you sponsor people, you know that God will, he'll do stuff in you. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be with someone who's struggling and suffering, and the truth is you have nothing to give them. And it's a funny dynamic. It's like a portal opens up inside of me, and, and stuff comes out that I don't even... I, I've, had this, I've had this experience where I catch myself saying something to a guy, and it's blowing my mind what I'm saying to the guy, right? It's like, I should write this down. I think I'm going to need this, right? <laughs> You know, we, we don't just keep this thing by giving it away. I think sometimes we get this thing by giving it away. And I'll tell you, you know, they made the announcement about the cell phones. Carl Jung talked about the collective, the collective unconscious. And, and I think that, to me, that I think he, what he's talking about is the same thing it talks about in, in the book, The Great Reality, the same thing they talk about in tradition number two, the way God will express himself. And he, God talks to us continually in meetings, but you gotta show up where God, in the, in the venues where God speaks the loudest. And he's, I, hundreds, hundreds of times, he's talked to me in AA meetings, hundreds of times. Where I'm sitting there and I'm not doing well, or I got some unresolved stuff in my life, or an unmade amends, or something going on and there'll be some stranger there and it's just at the moment when I can hear it starts talking about what's going on with me and the reason that in, in my home group and, and a lot of the, a lot of groups that I have a lot of respect for in Alcoholics Anonymous we discourage anything that's a distraction in the meeting like your cell phones and I know I, I, I Believe me, I've, I've learned this the hard way by having my cell phone on in a meeting. And it's, it's a, sometimes it's, it's an innocent thing, you forget. But what happens when it goes off, there could be people sitting around you that God's talking to through the people that are sharing the meeting. And now there's like a minute and a half of blank spot in the meeting because of the cell phone. Well, that's not that bad. Here's what's really bad. It's when it's your cell phone and it goes off. 
now you don't hear anything the rest of the meeting because everyone who turned and glared at you <laughs> when your cell phone off, you're going to have a conversation in your head with them for the rest of the meeting, right? And, and besides, I know, I know you, you, you hope this, but trust me, your ex is not going to come to their senses and be properly ashamed of themselves during the meeting. It's not going to happen. God doesn't work that way. What, who's going to call you as a telemarketer? Who's going to call you? <laughs> I mean, for... Oh, God. So, I don't want to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous. I try to sit quietly sometimes... If I drink a lot of tea or stuff, sometimes I gotta get, I hate it, I hate to do this, sometimes I have to get up and go to the bathroom. Beyond my control, it's, it's, a, it's a lesser of two evils of sitting there and, yeah, no, it's, it would be bad, it would be bad. Was, uh, but I don't like to do that, because I, I, and I try to do it, I try to get almost to be like a mouse when I do it, be small and, and not disruptive, because if I have to do that, because I don't want, I want God, I want you to be able to hear. Hear what's, God's talking to you here, for God's sakes. Open your ears. Listen. Be present here. That's why texting is such a horrific thing. And we, we, we make an announcement in my home group. No, no cell phones, no texting. Because not, not only are you not hearing God when you're texting or hearing anything else, you're, you're consumed up in your head with you and the phone, but the people next to you, the, the light's on, and they're, and they just, it, it's, it, bright light just that's why they tell you in movie theaters don't have it on because it's a distraction right now you can you can choose to come here and not hear anything you can choose to come here and think we're all full of crap you can choose to not do none of this that is your right but don't interfere with someone else who's trying to struggle towards the light don't get between them and the light don't do that. You know, you can be, you, you just never know. Uh, Billy said something last night I really liked. I, I too have been, and I thought this for a long time. I wished we would have, you know, I wish Wilson would have held his ground on the on the long form. But you know, he couldn't. Get, he, he, there's letters in our archive. He couldn't get people. He couldn't get groups. They, they didn't really want to read them. Because they're long. I mean, my old my old homework. We used to read them, and and oh, I you just you watch the newcomers who have the attention span of a gnat, you know, sitting there, and they're just like, oh, make it stop. Oh, oh, let's get back to the important stuff that has to do with me. You know, it's, it's right. It's like. And I get it. I'm that way. I'm wired like that. I get it. I don't. I don't condemn people for being that way. Um, but I understand. I understand Wilson's frustration. So when Earl Treat, and I got this information just recently from Gail, when Earl Treat wrote the short form, I always knew it wasn't Wilson. I just didn't know who until until Gail told me. And Dr. Bob sort of sponsored Earl, I guess, from a guy from Chicago, and and. Uh, the pressure was on Wilson and A is falling apart. He conceded to adopt those, and that's the one. Those are the most, there's a, most members of AA don't even know the long form exists. But in the third tradition, the long form really nails it for me. And I think that the ad, ad, adaptation of the short form changed Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I, 
I can look at this from both sides of the street. It's brought a lot of people into aid and it's helped them and, and enriched their lives. But it's also brought a lot of people into Alcoholics Anonymous who just have a desire not to drink and they don't suffer from alcoholism. So it, everything that every positive thing that may have come about as a result of it, I think there's an equal, if not greater, negative thing that's happened to us as a result of it. See, I am, I am not a, an everyday member of AA because I have a desire not to drink. I'll tell you, that isn't even a piece of business in my life. I, I, everything that talks about in step 10 has happened for me. I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected from alcohol. And it, I, through little effort on my part, except I just, if you treat your alcoholism, your drinking takes care of itself, right? So I'm not an everyday member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I have a desire not to drink. I mean, I do if I stop and think about it. Oh yeah, I don't want to know. I, I love my sobriety, yeah. But I am an everyday member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I suffer from alcoholism in sobriety. In those feelings that, for, that are intermittent for me of restless, irritable, discontent. The feelings of anxious apartness and separation, the depression that, that so many of us, from Bill Wilson on, have been plagued with all of that. And so I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, I work these steps, I sponsor guys, I do service here, I do all of this because I suffer from alcoholism. I don't do it because I'm a good guy. I don't do it so people walk around and say, I touched the hem of his garment. I mean, I don't do it. I, do it. I do it because I suffer, because I have a horrid, horrid case of alcoholism. I, I am a high maintenance alcoholic. Oh my God. I am a high man. I, I wish there's not, not everybody in A is like me. There, there are people that can just, they're fine. They go to one meeting a week and when they really want to amp up their spirituality, they might go to two. Uh, they might even say hi to a newcomer once in a while. I mean, you know, they've, they've made every amends that, that was coming at them and they couldn't duck. Um, but they're, and, and they're fine, and they're fine. I used to resent those people. I remember going to my sponsor, just, I was angry. Because I'm at meetings, I'm doing all this service. I'm doing all this crap. I'm, I'm paying every. They won't let me. They want me to pay everybody back. And I'm going to. I'm going to my sponsor. And I'm complaining. You know, and he just. And he said, "You have to play the hand you're dealt, not the hand they're dealt." You got to find your alcoholism here, and I mean beyond the drinking. You got to find your alcoholism here beyond the drinking and bring that to Alcoholics Anonymous because that's what we're about. Alcoholics Anonymous is not designed to treat your drinking problem. That's a, a, a benefit from it. That's a, but we're really designed to treat your abstinence problem, to treat everything that happens to you that makes you subtly alone and depressed and separate in your abstinence. And that's what we do here. And, that's, it, and we do it very effectively. Very, it's a magical thing that happens here, the way God works through all this stuff. And so I, I'm an everyday member of Alcoholics Anonymous because of that. And this, I, I love what, God, I, I really liked Billy's talk last night. The thing about autonomy, um, autonomy, the tradition of autonomy, the principle of autonomy 
without an awakening and, and a consciousness of the other traditions and the welfare of others is, is just, it's a wild card to be rebellious and crazy and self-serving. But autonomy gives us an, an amazing amount of freedom, but freedom without consciousness of responsibility is anarchy. It's destructive. And so we're, you know, and this is not true just of us. This isn't built into the consciousness of the human race. One of the, the, the great, I, I, I would, one of the great things God has given us, and sometimes the most hard thing he's given us is free will. Free will, we're the only creatures on the planet that have the ability to go against your very instincts and your very nature to the point of self-destruction. You'll never walk through a forest and see a, a deer smoking a crack pipe, right? <laughs> and, and drinking a bottle of wine. You'll never, it doesn't happen. Because matter of fact, the deer's gonna go, nah, nah. But God's given us free will. We can actually choose, not only we can choose to go against him to the point where we're, we're, we're killing people, we're hurting people, and even possibly kill ourselves. That we can actually go against that to that degree. And the same thing is true in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's, there's no enforcement here of the 12 traditions. My sponsor tells us, he says something funny. He says, he said, wouldn't it be nice if we had AA police, right? You've broken the traditions. You know, and we're gonna take you away to a re-education camp, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it doesn't happen, it's not happening here. We are, we are granted a tremendous amount of freedom, but wake up. And, and that's, my sponsor has been brilliant with me to, to get me to look at every action I take and what does it speak to the newer people, right? What does it speak to the newer people? You want to text in a meeting? Great, you have the freedom to do that. But what you're, you, you only get one vote and it's your actions. What you're really saying, I think, I think everybody should be doing this. Do you want everybody to do that? No, no, but my case is different. I understand the rules. I just secretly think I'm above them or they don't apply to me. They apply to everybody else. Isn't it funny? I'm, I think the rules should apply to everyone except me. Like the handicapped parking thing. Oh, that's important. Handicapped people need easy access, but I'm only going to be a minute. Right? right? Above the rules. That's, the, that's my alcoholic ego. I'm above the rules. And so we hope that this tremendous, tremendous freedom that we're given here, this autonomy, uh, that, that you also develop a consciousness of others. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of things I don't do. I, I'm a selfish guy by nature. I'm a self-gratifying, I'm, I'm all of that. Everything we all are, I'm that. But there's a lot of things I do not do because I don't wanna put that, I don't wanna speak that to the newer people and give them the green light on that stuff, right? I don't want to do it. You're, you're more important than me. How did that happen? Man. Tradition number five has been uh, crucial in my life. I don't know. 
I don't know at what point in my innermost self I really got this, but when I did, it changed everything. That, you know, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous like all of us. My primary purpose is me and my feelings and my relief and, and what you think of me and my comfort and my finances and my sex and me, 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 me. And to get a level, some, a small, tiny level of self-abandonment where uh, my primary purpose is no longer me and I'm given a, an alternate primary purpose and that's to help God's kids to help other alcoholics. That that really is why I'm placed here on earth. That is why I've survived this, this fatal, fatal illness called alcoholism. It's not, not to be have a big house and not to have money, not to have friends, not to, it, it really has nothing to do with me. I am given a, a purpose that is greater than me. And I'll tell you something, when you claim that, and you understand at a gut level that your life is not <clears throat> is not your own. That you've been that you've been saved from the abyss for one reason and one reason only is to take all that pain, all that struggle, all those defects, all of that, and make it useful in God's hands. All of a sudden, life makes sense. All of a sudden, there's a rightness about everything. When it was about me, nothing's right. Nothing's right. But when I claim my primary purpose, man, even the worst things about me, the things that were the, uh, the, the deepest, darkest secrets become useful here in God's hands. And to claim, to start, rather than serving myself, to start to serve a principle and a set of principles and a purpose and ultimately a power and a people that I've made of greater importance than myself. I, th I had a nun uh, in Catholic school. She used to say something I thought was the stupidest thing I ever heard. She said, God first, other people second, me always last. I thought, nah. <laughs> it's me first, me second, and just me. That's all it is. It's just me. Um, I, I, I suffered a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous because I, my, I, 19 years sober, I started, to, I got into a depression because my primary purpose, unbeknownst to me, started being bled away by the, the abundance and the toys and the, the money and the prestige until I had become my primary purpose and I started getting depressed. A person wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. No matter how good you get it out here, if it ain't no good in here, if you're not if you're not aligned with your purpose and God's will in your life, there's nothing. None of it means anything, truthfully. And so I, 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 I that's where I really started to claim my primary purpose. I was like almost 20 years sober. Now I was taking the actions, but I'm in my innermost self. Not so much. And you know what? One of the great things about having a home group and a sponsor and, and sponsoring people is that you will take actions you don't feel like because you don't want to look bad. 
A is one of the few places on the planet I know of that'll take my, my hyper concern with what you think of me and use it to make me better or to tether me here, right? I mean, I don't know any other place on the planet that'll do that. Wilson's, Wilson was brilliant when he talks about um, money, property, and prestige. If you, if you could add one more thing in there that would divert you from your primary purpose, probably sex. And these are the things that, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's a, I've shied away from a few people on Alcoholics Anonymous because they're prestige predators. I, I had a friend and he, I found out that he gets every talk he's ever made and he, he, he puts it on YouTube and sends it to recovery websites. I said, are you kidding me? He said, oh no, I, my message is important. That's creepy to me, right? I mean, if selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our trouble, isn't that like self-promotion is like arming the Al-Qaeda, isn't it? I mean, or, or ISIS. I mean, it's, 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 don't feed the things in you that should be starved. And that, I'll tell you, I don't know about you guys, that's my natural tendency is to feed the things that should be starved. And I will, unbeknownst to me, starve the things that should be fed. That's why I have a sponsor. That's why I sponsor guys. There's a lot of accountability in, sponsor, in sponsoring people because you, you wake up one day, they're the primary example of how to live their, how to be an AA member. You're the primary example to them, how to be an AA member, how to live your life and how to exist on spiritual principles. And let me tell you something, your sponsees watch you more than you could ever imagine. They watch you. You know how you know that? Do some self-serving out of line crap and see how many of them join you within two weeks. All right, they watch you. Oh, tradition seven, I, be self-supporting, I don't, I, I thought, when I first got sober, I thought step one was get a job. I mean, it was, Jesus. I had a chance, I was a year sober and I'd been working as a, as a counselor in treatment, which against my, against my sponsor's wishes, you know, that I'm, I'm, I have enough ego is returned that I think I'm smarter than he is, you know. I think he's just jealous because I've found a way to do 12-step work and get paid for it. And he never figured that out. Uh, that wasn't the case at all. And I lost that job. Thank God. God has done for me consistently what I couldn't do for myself. And I lost that job. And I was in a position to get $120 a week in unemployment. Now, back in, this, in the 70s, that's, that's a fair, I could have lived on it. I wasn't nice, but I could have lived on it. He made me take a job where after taxes, I only made between 96 and $97 a week. And I had to work 40 hours for the $96. I could have got the 120 for free. And sometimes you just know, he's, he's never, he doesn't know about arithmetic, does he? He just doesn't, you know. But he was so right because it, I'm a taker. I've been a taker all my life. I've been a user of people, a taker. I'm a me, me. I'm like the black hole of life. Just I'll suck everything I can out of life and out of you. And they want me to take the actions of a giver. And they, and they don't even care if I feel like it. Just do it. 
And so I started becoming so I would they wouldn't let me take the free money. I, to this day, I look back, and sometimes I even look back to this day and go, but it was free money. <laughs> that free money might have killed me. <laughs> would have done something to my sense of my 